The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Karen Lee. Uh, She is a financial planner, and she's the author of a new book called It's Just Money, So Why Does It Cause So Many Problems? Welcome to the show, Karen. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Let's just start with a little bit of your background and uh, why you thought it was important to write this particular book. Sure. I went into financial planning 24 years ago with a very strong desire to help people uh, become financially independent. And probably halfway through my career, I was sort of shocked by the number of success stories I had. It was awfully low. The majority of my clients, although they were following some of my advice, when times were hard, it came to to light that they weren't following the entire financial plan. And I actually became frustrated, but still really wanting to help people, started looking deeper at why some people were good with money and some people weren't. And shockingly, it had nothing to do with how much they earn or the level of education they'd achieved. It had everything to do with what I call their relationship with money, basically how they view and value money, uh, which is a sort of an outgrowth of what they learned growing up about money or what they didn't learn and things that have happened in their adult life which have framed the way they view money. So I wanted to write a book to try to bring that conversation to light and get more people looking a little deeper at the issues that impact their financial uh, process. You, at the beginning of the book, talk about your own uh, childhood and yes. upbringing, as well yes. as that of your husband. Why don't you just kind of briefly uh, get into that sure. and, and how that informs your understanding of what other people are going through? Sure. And, and it's part of why I was so perplexed. My upbringing was that my father was an immigrant to this country, he came here when he was 13, dirt poor. My mother, her father died when she was seven years old, and her mother didn't remarry till after my mom was gone from the house. So she raised her on her own, and this was back in the late 30s, early 1940s, and that was relatively unheard of. So both my parents came from a place of extreme fear of not having enough money. And so as an outcome of that, they raised us three children to literally feel like we were poor. We shopped on sale. We bargain hunted for everything. We never had what I felt like most of my friends had, old cars, a lesser home, etc. So I found out much many years later that we were not poor. We were very middle class, but that over time, my parents, through saving my mother's measly teacher's income, had become by, well, but general standards, somewhat wealthy, multimillionaires. And um, I, I looked at that, and I was you know, pretty shocked by that, that understanding of how they grew wealth out of virtually nothing. But nevertheless, the kids in my family, me included, came out with these skills, skills at how to shop on sale, how to save, how to invest. Then I meet my husband, who's from a very different background. He's a multi-generation American. Um, you know, the founding fathers are his ancestors. And his family lived much more, uh, I would say, uh, also was middle class, but, but felt like they were upper middle class, maybe even more affluent. And when it all came out, you know, years into our marriage, I realized that my family actually was more well off in, in some areas. But it was all in how they handled wealth. My family invested in stocks. His family invested in real estate. Anyway, that's where I started to realize we're we're greatly impacted by that which we learned growing up. And I I go into in my book how often this can be very problematic in relationships. My husband and I, and I share this in the book, came to a, a very good middle ground uh, with our financial situation. And so it's been able to work for us. You talk at the beginning of the book about how money problems in the United States anyway are universal. 
Yes. Uh, what do you mean by that? You mean everybody has them or they have well, different degrees? What yeah, do you well, mean by these universal that, problems? Good question. I would say everyone has a relationship with money, okay? Sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes downright dysfunctional. The first third of the book, I talk about what these problems are, and I sort of look at it on a spectrum. On the one end, and we have a lot of people on this end right now, they live way beyond their means, and they're drowning in debt, the other side of the spectrum, which are still financial problems, are people that live with the fear of never having enough. And I would say that's the part of that spectrum I came from. I had to move away from that because I had to realize there's only so much planning you can do when you're one of those kinds of people. And those kind of, if you live with fear of never having enough, it can greatly inhibit your happiness. So that's the spectrum of the financial uh, problems. On the one hand, the people who live with fear of never having enough right now, I think, are a minority. I think in my parents' generation, it was probably more of the majority. They tend to not have financial problems like debt, but they still have problems that impact their relationships and their happiness. Uh, but obviously right now what we're dealing with in our country is a generation of people that have only known affluence and abundance, and they want what they want when they want it. They live beyond their means. They, they've lost the skill of saving. And when any crisis occurs, like what, we've, what we're living through now, their financial plan falls apart. You say that uh, money is not just cash or numbers in a statement. No. But it's kind of a, a force in people's lives. What do you it's mean by that? very emotional. It's not logical. When I think numbers on, math, on, a, on a piece of paper, I think logic. I think rational. You sit down and have a conversation with people about money, there is nothing rational about it. All sorts of emotions come up, connections and attachments. You know, and, and that's why I say it's far more than numbers on a piece of paper. You talk about uh, living beyond your means. You mentioned that a little bit now. Yeah. But uh, you say we've gone uh, from living the good life to the double whammy. What, what has been the both financial and psychological transition the last few years here? You mean since the Great Recession? Yes. I think there's a small number of people who are looking back and saying, boy, I'd do it differently next time. Next time I won't overextend as much. Next time I'll uh, make some different decisions and be a, a little more cautious. But my concern, Jordan, and I guess it's, it's, we're yet to see this, my concern is that this recession, as horrible as it's been, it hasn't been a Great Depression, and it hasn't lasted that long. Not like I'm wishing it would either, because everyone's been affected by it. I just don't know if, if there'll be this significant shift that I think Americans need to have uh, in order for us not to have, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, just intense poverty at, uh, in older ages. Some of the lessons you say people have learned, or at least should be learning, are they should not make overly optimistic assumptions. Yes. What do you mean by that? Well, one of the things I find often, and I was just talking with relatives last night about this, is as your income rises, you have some very good years. You know, you get into your mid-40s. You, if you take the optimistic assumption that this level of income is going to last through my working years, that's an overly optimistic assumption. We're seeing over and over people getting let go from jobs they've had 20, 25, 30 years unable to find work at the same income level. They eventually find work at 50% of that level or 60% of that level, but their whole lifestyle was built around 100% of that old income. So that's a great example of an overly optimistic outlook. You also say there's a difference between real money and paper money. <laughs> what, what trouble does that get people into? Uh, paper money is when uh, the best example out of this last financial crisis is the overinflated value of home prices. But I, in my again, I, I do talk some autobiographical stuff in the beginning. In my case, it was an, an inflated uh, investment portfolio. What happens when you have this high high valued asset? You you actually might feel that feeling of comfort that says I don't need to save anymore or I can spend more. The worst was, I mean, it's one thing when your stock portfolio drops precipitously, but you're not dependent 
<laughs> on that on income from it, perhaps. But when you have a home that goes up wildly in value and then you make the biggest mistake Americans made, which was refinance and take out equity, you saw it, we all saw it, using your house like an ATM machine. That has caused more problems in this financial crisis. And I know everybody wanted to be angry at Wall Street and angry at the banks. And granted, they, they did some pretty underhanded things too. But the person at the bottom of that food chain that bought a house they couldn't afford, or even when they bought a house they couldn't afford and went up in value and they started withdrawing equity and raising their debt ratio, it was a, a recipe for disaster. And then you say that you should not tie your fortunes too closely to your employer uh, by investing too heavily in company yeah. stock. What can go wrong with that? This is another great example, but not just from this um, this last crisis. We've seen this historically over and over. You saw it back oh, when Lucent went, more or less went under and, and people had huge values of stock options in their 401k. The company match often comes in stock. People that don't diversify out of it. I know someone now that is um, an Apple employee with millions in wealth, but it's all in Apple. Now, you and I would tell you right now, Apple's not going anywhere but up, right? But, but that's what we said about Enron. That's what we said about MCI. We've seen so many companies that you'd think weren't going anywhere have major problems. Wachovia. So I am a big believer. I don't care how great your company stock is doing diversify out of it like any prudent investor i wouldn't have more than 10 percent of my net worth in any one company yeah that's been a big problem for a lot of people enron being the other ultimate example i guess the case like that oh yeah sad Indeed. sad yeah now you, in, in addition to talking about people spending too much you also have a chapter about spending beneath your means yes uh you talk about the story of mary b is that done these days Are people actually spending beneath their means as well it is, and, and that's a, a, Mary B. is one where she's spending beyond her means. But in uh, I, there's a chapter I write on people who hoard money, uh, people who have a million, two million dollars in liquid net worth. So we're not even talking about homes, investments, and they're living on, you know, nineteen, twenty thousand dollars a year of some income that they have from a job. Um, I don't want to say there's anything wrong with that. I mean, really, I guess I hope wished more people would live that way. But I still see some inherent uh, dysfunction in that. And in my case, I would say, hey, I love that someone doesn't need to have all the newest, finest stuff to be happy. I, I think that's something that we in in America kid ourselves, that if, if I have the most recent iPhone, the most recent technology, the, the biggest flat-screen TV, I will be happy. I, I totally believe that's a lie. Happiness is an inside job. But to me, that person who has this kind of wealth and is living so low, I'd love to see them doing more charitable uh, philanthropic activities if they could, because really, what is the, what is the good of that money, ultimately? Indeed. In my story, this person had no heirs. And, you know, they, there was no plan for that wealth. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Karen Lee. Uh, she is a certified financial planner in the Atlanta area. Her new book is called It's Just Money, So Why Does It Cause So Many Problems? We'll be back after this. The modern world has experienced fundamental era changes from the industrial age to the information age to the age of complexity. Technology and globalization are rapidly changing the world we live in. Yet our way of thinking and the conversations that drive our decisions are stuck in the past. To find prosperity, business and communities need the skills to learn new ways of thinking and find the right conversations to move comfortably into the future. How can you sort it all out? Tune in to The Science of Change with Dr. Barbara Berry and Lise Inman, Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Are there any challenges to your success? You already have what it takes to turn these challenges into results in any area. Find out more when you tune in to The Power of Realism, Why Integrity Matters, with host Jeffrey Canavan. 
We all deal with adversity and challenges in life and business. We'll talk with those individuals who have faced these challenges and turned them into success stories. By making just a few shifts in your thinking, you too can be one of these success stories. The Power of Realism airs live on Thursdays at 10 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. The generation of the web is now. Your competitors are on the web, your prospects are on the web, and they're looking for you. So are they finding you, or are your competitors getting the business you deserve? Tune in to Generation Web with your host, Matt Dalby. Gain critical insight that your business simply can't live without. Generation Web airs live Thursdays at 4 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 2300 UTC on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Karen Lee. Uh, She is a certified financial planner in the Atlanta area. Uh, Her new book is called It's Just Money. So why does it cause so many problems? Welcome back to the show, Karen. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me back. Tell people how they can reach you. If you have a website, something related to the book, or so on. Best way to reach me is to go to my website, Karen Lee and Associates. That's all spelled out. And uh, I think what you'll find, there's certainly a contact us page. One thing I want to say is I am fascinated by people and their money stories. So if somebody has something they want to share, reach out on my website under the contact us. Either tell me your story or give me some contact that I can get back to you. And I'd love to spend a little time and hear your story. Uh, You can find my book there. You can find many articles I've contributed to on the subject of the psychology of money under the In the News tab on that website. Very good. Okay, you have a section of uh, what you call the discipline of cutting back. It's hard, it's hard for people to cut back, but what are some ways that people can do it uh, in, in the best possible way? And the reason I wrote that section was that it's, I, again, from my upbringing, I grew up getting a thrill out of saving money. So if there's something I knew I needed and I could get it at 60, 70, 80% on sale, it was a thrill, like adrenaline. And I wish I could pass that on to people that don't have that because it it is a great skill. Uh, But the biggest areas I would tell today's Americans that they could cut back is eating out. Eating out is a huge waste of money, and if people would just spend a little time putting thought into grocery shopping and cooking at home and packing some lunches, I think you can cut your uh, food bills dramatically. Another area, of course, would be never buying retail. So, you know, clothing, books, there's never any reason to pay full price for, for anything. So you think people can do it, it's just a matter of getting into a different habit. Yeah, and then learning to like that habit, finding some joy in the habit. Indeed. Okay, you then have a chapter on uh, what you're calling uh, carrying emotional baggage uh, uh, from, from childhood. Yes. Uh, so what are some of the emotional baggage that's related to money that, that holds people back financially? Well, I'm going to tell you that, uh, you know, I've always been a, a fan of psychotherapy in my own life. I think that we have emotional baggage in, in all areas of our life that come from childhood Specifically with money, let me give you some examples. Once I met a man who I wanted to, uh, he wanted me to handle his 401k. He was leaving one job, going to another. And I said, well, of course, but, you know, I'm a financial planner, so we do a comprehensive plan. It'll help give you better advice on this one account, but it will also let you know if you're on track in your savings or if you need to save more or if you're ahead of the game, which nobody ever is. And he said to me, well, that's fine. You can run your plan, and I'd be interested in seeing it. But he says, I'm not going to save any more than I'm saving, no matter what your plan says. He says, because my daddy worked all his life till he was 65, and all he ever wanted to do was retire. Sometimes he'd work two and three jobs, save, 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 never had anything he wanted. It was all for retirement. And guess what happened six weeks into retirement? He died. So this man had emotional baggage. He, was, he watched his father die right into retirement, and he said, why should I do that? I had a uh, similar uh, situation. I met a woman at a cocktail party. We were talking about saving money. She says, I just can't save. I said, why? She says, I always think to myself, what if I died tomorrow? I don't know where that came from, 
I'm guessing if we'd had more time to talk, we could dig deeper and find out something from childhood that made her think that life could be short. So people carry these attitudes and it affects their current uh, spending behavior and, and saving behavior. Oh, and I got to tell you, I don't think most people ever even look to their childhood to see how it ultimately plays out in their money life as adults. But I have asked many, many people, clients, friends, family, to tell me about their childhood, what it was like, what they heard, what they didn't heard. And I find a direct correlation in many, many cases to things that happened in childhood and that playing out in your adult life in a sometimes positive, but often in a negative way. You do have a chapter of what you call the eat dessert first problem. What do you mean by that? Uh, that's, that's just the I want what I want when I want it mentality. I, um, I hear regularly, I can always earn more money. When people will say to me, um, I'll say, can you afford that? They'll say, well, I can't right now, but by the time I have to pay for it, I'll figure it out. So it's, it's all, it's the opposite of delayed gratification. You know, delayed gratification is I'm going to do without today for a better tomorrow, right? This eat dessert first is the opposite. It's I'm living for the moment and for today, and I'll figure out the future later. And that's more typical these days. In, in a certain way, people are too optimistic, right? They're expecting revenue or income to come in that doesn't end up coming in. Meanwhile, they've got the expense. Well, and, you know, I, I hear you say that, and I think to myself, I don't really want to give that message because I'm the eternal optimist. I'm probably one of the most hopeful, positive, optimistic people. But, yeah, when it comes to money, we've always said my mantra in financial planning is you plan for the worst, then you hope and pray for the best. But you do have to plan for contingencies of lost jobs, disability, dying young, et cetera. It's, it is. It's part of, of how you make a solid foundation. You talk about the millionaires next door uh, realizing impossible dreams. Is this part of that syndrome that people expect, you know, much quicker success than actually is going to no. happen? No, 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 no. This, this part was actually very similar to the story about my parents, where people that never thought they'd have anything and, and came to me and, and maybe felt like, you know, they've got a little something, Karen, show me what to do with it. And over years of working together, you know, 15 years later, looking at what they had on paper because they had followed what I'd told them to do, and they were millionaires and, and couldn't believe it. Never in their wildest dreams could they have believed they'd have a million dollars. That, that's what that chapter was about. And that was pretty neat. That's, you know, I tried to mix uh, my, my book is uh, all stories, but it's, it's, they're not all horrible stories. Many of them are very hopeful stories. And uh, in that case, I was trying to talk about how you can break through things that you believe or, or, like in that case, those people came from nothing and never believed they'd be worth anything. And they were able to follow a sound financial plan and be something different than they thought, be millionaires. That's the secret of The Millionaire Next Door, the Tom Stanley book. Is it is. People think that they're you know, really rich and so on, but they're actually very modest, in many cases living where they grew up, not really changing their habits, even though they become successful. Uh, they don't look articles. like millionaires to some extent. There have been some great articles in the past uh, six months, and I did a segment on CNN about the, the uh, common traits of millionaires. And I think, I think Amer a lot of Americans think that the typical millionaire got rich quick. Their company uh, went through an IPO and they became overnight successes. They won the lottery or they started their own reality TV show. But the reality and what's in that book, The Millionaire Next Door, and what I learned from my parents is that most millionaires slowly and methodically built their wealth by living beneath their means, saving, investing, and patience. Yeah, it's not as exciting, but that's the way it really no, works. No, it's, it's not <laughs> exciting at all, but it works. Okay, then you have a chapter on dealing with debt in various ways. So kind of describe the situation of Americans today and, and their relationship to debt. Well, that's, see, I, b I believe right now this is one of the biggest problems we're dealing with. And this is where I'd like, I'd like people that are in debt to, instead of just trying to attack the debt, take a step back and figure out why you got there in the first place. And I'm not talking just I spent more than I earned. I want you to ask yourself when you go to spend money that you don't have, 
what is going through your mind? What do you, how do you think you are going to feel afterwards that makes it so compelling to do something that you know is going to cause more trouble for yourself? I think if people in that situa- situation can start to get to the root of how they think they're going to feel, because I think the answer is, I'm going to feel elated or I'm going to feel special or I'm going to feel good because I deserve this or my friends are going to be impressed. If they can get to the root of those feelings and then follow it through and say, did it last? I think that those feelings are pretty fleeting. Women will tell you all along, you know, I go buy a pair of shoes, it makes me feel better. Get a new pocketbook, I feel better. So my question is, how long do you feel better? And then how do you feel when you get the credit card bill and you realize you don't have the money to pay for it? Then when you tack that 18% interest charge on it, you actually paid 18% more for something you couldn't afford. I think if people can start digging a little bit deeper into the why, that they might be able to change the behavior. I think if you just attack the behavior, you're probably going to repeat the same mistakes over and over. So that's why people are in credit card debt is they're in, in certain habits that's hard for them to get out of very hard. Or what I've seen, they get out of it, and two years later, they're right back into it. Indeed. (laughs) And I relate throughout the book that it's, in some ways, people who are in debt, I think it's very similar to other types of addiction. Spending can be like an addiction. So people who yo-yo diet, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, I think they've got to dig a little deeper into why do they overeat in the first place, Come up with some new coping skills, or you're going to be on that roller coaster ride for a long time. Indeed. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Karen J. Lee. Uh, She is a certified financial planner in the Atlanta area. Her new book is called It's Just Money, Uh, So Why Does It Cause So Many Problems? And her website is KarenLeeAndAssociates.com, right? That's the correct address. Very good. We'll be back after this. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Tune in to It's Your Money with host Bill Pfeifferlich. You'll get an eye-opening education about some of the misconceptions of the financial world. If you are a business owner, working professional, or successful American, you will benefit from the information on our program. Our guests will include financial service professionals, international tax and estate attorneys, and CPAs. We'll identify solutions that you can implement now to get the most of your money. Tune in Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for It's Your Money on Voice America Business. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. G? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters with Dr. G airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you looking to soar with the eagles instead of being grounded with the turkeys? Why not have a gorilla help you out? Listen every week for Innovate, Leap Out of the Bowl with host Joby Dixon. Joby has made a living out of helping organizations and individuals become more creative, inventive, and innovative. The show closely parallels Joby's book of the same name. It'll include the process to innovate, how to rewire your brain for creativity, exercises, case studies, and more. Tune in to Innovate, Leap Out of the Bowl, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Karen J. Lee. She's a financial planner, certified financial planner in the Atlanta area. Her new book is called It's Just Money. So why does it cause so many problems? Welcome back to the show, Karen. Hi, Jordan. So again, we were talking about debt, and you talk about uh, the thrill of the bargain, uh, people spending money they don't have in order to get a bargain. What is the syndrome there? Ah, (laughs) 
that's a, a wonderful rationalization. I have seen people not be able to live within their means, but justify their spending because everything they buy is on sale. I met a woman once, and she said, I don't understand why we can't seem to stay on budget. I am the best shopper around. I buy everything on sale. I collect coupons. I go to multiple stores. Most of the time I get things for almost free. And the husband said, yes, honey, but look in the closet. You've got a lifetime supply of everything we could ever need. So bottom line was she was justifying still overspending because it was on sale. I'm, I think most women, maybe men, have often given away a piece of clothing that they still have the price tag on and they never wore it. Some people do that excessively. So if you've ever shopped in a thrift store, you'll find clothing there with the tag still hanging on it. Obviously, someone else bought it and never wore it. Typically, I find people are justifying it because it was on sale. Right. Okay, yeah. then you have a whole chapter on windfalls and excess income. So give us yeah. some stories about how people won the lottery or somehow got some extra income quickly and how it caused financial problems. Well, the, the lottery winners, I mean, there are books and many articles written on the number of lottery winners, the high percentage of them who are bankrupt in about a five-year period afterwards. I look at the salesperson who is clicking along at a regular steady income and all of a sudden has a banner year for whatever reason. And what they tend to do is they up their standard of living immediately, uh, new house, maybe second home, boat, new car, instead of saving up the money and paying cash for those expenditures, it's all mortgaged or financed. So it's tied to, to the repetition of this higher income. And as we know, whether it's sales or just economic cycles, those things, we talked about it already, don't always last. And so the minute you have a year that doesn't match it, you're in financial trouble, you're digging into any savings you might have built up, and eventually you're looking at going back into debt. So that's on one side, having too much income. And on the other side is people hoarding and yes. fearing they're never going to have enough money. It's kind of the yeah. opposite situation. So, and again, you know, the hoarding, it's interesting from a financial planner's point of view. If, if I'm going to have a client with a problem, I'd rather them be a money hoarder than a living beyond their means. But I've seen marriages fall apart over the one spouse who is so cheap. They hoard. They, they can't um, allow their family to spend anything. And, and it's all, you know, unreasonable expectations there. So hoarding is dysfunctional. It doesn't necessarily solve financial disaster like some of the other problems we talk about in my book, but it sure causes relationship issues, breaks up a lot of friendships. Why does being frugal become an obsession? Why does it kind of go over the edge to some extent? That's a great question. Again, I would have to say that it goes back to this issue that money and what money means to us is deeply emotionally rooted. So anything that's emotional, and again, we were talking about other addictions, has the p potential of becoming obsessive, uh, compulsive in some way. So that's where – and and – I watched in my story, I talk about my parents who built a beautiful uh, multi-million dollar net worth and weren't able to enjoy it. My father, truly Jordan, on his deathbed, I walked back with my sister from the funeral home, and my father, in a semi-conscious state, asked us how much it was going to cost. Yeah. A asked us not to spend too much on his coffin. Now, I mean... That's tough, you know. That And my mother, what happened with them is that, that she wanted to loosen up as they got older. She wanted to fly first class. She wanted to have a brand-new car instead of buying used. And, and they, they, she couldn't. She couldn't. She'd worked long and hard just like he did, and she deserved that. But that's where, it, it, again, it becomes dysfunctional. Yeah. You have a whole chapter on marriage, uh, so what, what, and you're dealing with couples all the time. What are some of the dynamics that can uh, upset people in the way they come to their marriage with different views on money? Well, there's a couple different things we can talk about here. One is, is that a lot of times opposites attract when it comes to marriage, and so you're going to have people that feel very differently about money getting involved in, in a long-term relationship with each other. The second big issue, though, is how few people – 
discuss money prior to marriage or even during marriage. So the fact that they might think differently about money, whether it's how they spending or saving or credit card debt or whatever, they don't they don't even talk about it in advance to know what they're getting into. And I'm not saying that I think that people with different money stories or beliefs about money shouldn't get married, but they should have conversations all the time about these differences and compromising on how to make that part of the marriage work. As we know, there's rarely a divorce that happens where money isn't a huge issue, and many people will report that money was a big issue in their marriage all along. What should you ask your spouse, or if you're not married yet in the whole dating process, what should you know about them to know that you're going to be compatible financially? Well, I'd ask um, some feeling questions. So things like, um, what was it like when you were growing up about money? Did you guys have a lot of money or not much? Did your parents talk about money, fight about money? Were they savers or were they spenders? And then some real practical questions would be, how do you feel about debt? Are you the kind of person that believes when you buy a house to stretch for the ultimate or to buy some, be more conservative? How do you feel about credit card debt? Do you think it's okay to buy something that it will take you several months to pay off? Or are you more the kind of person that would save up first? You might still put it on a credit card, but you're going to pay it off all at once. Then ultimately... I'd like to see people have what I I would call a uh, tell-all sit-down. Again, it shouldn't be a deal-breaker. It shouldn't be a, hey, depending on what I find out in this meeting, we're not getting married. It's not a deal-breaker, but let's show our stuff. This is how much debt I'm bringing into the relationship. This is how much savings and retirement savings. And and then how are we going to deal with our money? Let's say more people are, you know, seeming to get married a little bit older in life now. Um, so how about a conversation of how, how much do we as a family want to save? And how are we, how about how are we going to actually run the bills? If we've got two people, and I'll ask young couples this, they come together, they're both earning about the same, but then they tell me that ultimately they want to start a family and have kids, and they want mama to be able to stay home with the kids. I say, great. So how are you guys handling the bills now? So maybe in, in an example, they'll say, well, we both earn about the same, so I pay the bills, and I tell her what half is, and she chips in half. And I'll say, okay, great. So how are you going to work it once the baby's come and she stays home? And I'll, you know, I'll get these blank stares of like, wow, we never really thought about that. And again, not a deal breaker, but conversations people need to have. Yeah. Uh, and then you have a chapter about divorce. What What is the financial implications of divorce for both oh, people? Oh, Jordan, it's the worst. It's like the uh, when I when I ha- get the call that people are either contemplating or going through a divorce, my my heart sinks because I know it's going to devastate both people financially. It almost I mean the only time it doesn't is when they at, literally have no money, but even then you're still talking about people who had two incomes trying to support one household now having to support two households. So, again, I'm not saying don't do it. If you're in a horrible marriage or an abusive marriage, obviously you need to get a divorce. But tread lightly going into a divorce. I mean, I I just had um, breakfast today with a friend who was talking about troubles in the marriage. And I, I just said, you know, go to any length to try to work out your problems because the money part of it is disastrous. You then have a whole chapter on raising children. Yeah. Uh, and, and spending too much on kids, on both babies and even uh, adult <laughs> children. What is the problem with people spending too much on their kids? Well, it, what it seems to be is an outgrowth of this whole Depression era generation that kids that were raised there came out of it and said, oh, I felt deprived. It was horrible. I want to give my kids a better life. So they started trying to give kids more than they had growing up. In my generation, and at least where I live, which is a relatively affluent area, I think it's a big uh, status symbol. So I think parents might feel like, you know, well, if my child doesn't have the new iPhone right when it came out, they might not be – they have a better chance of being popular 
if they have the iPhone, if they're driving a BMW instead of a beater. <laughs> so shameful if you ask me, but we have a big problem with the generation that's raising children right now. They're giving them too much too easily. They're setting them up for a feeling of entitlement. What is there to look forward to if when you're 16 years old you get a new car, right? Yeah. So we, we've got to get back to some basics. You know, this is one where I will get on my soapbox and people say to me, you know, how can you not give your child this? And I say, easy, don't do it. <laughs> so you're not considered cruel or mean in this case? Not right? at all. If anything, you're teaching them some of the most important life lessons you could ever. I had a couple come in in a disastrous financial situation. They were very high income earners, you know, several hundred thousand dollars a year income earners, which is very, very well off. And the children were uh, older teenagers, and the parents were in deep debt. And so, anyway, the conversation ensued about how do I, how do I, you know, not spend money on my kids? They're used to it. And this, what I said to them was, you sit down with your kids and you tell them, age appropriately, mommy and daddy have made some mistakes and gotten ourselves in a spot, and in order to get out of it, we don't want you to worry, but in order to get out of it, we've got to cut back. And it's got to be a family affair, and we need your help. So we're not going to be spending as much. And if I talked this through with this family, the mother said, I just feel like I don't want them to have to worry about these adult issues. And that's when I said, you know what? You're going to teach them some of the most important life lessons of their life. And kids are resilient. They'll understand and they'll probably be grateful you were honest with them. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Karen Lee. Uh, she's a financial planner in the Atlanta area. Her new book is called It's Just Money. So why does it cause so many problems? We'll be back after this. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. All too often these days, businesses and the corporate workplace are still relying on old rules and ideas that are no longer effective. It's time to look at business from a new perspective, a conscious perspective. Tune in every week for From Corporate to Conscious with the Quantum Scenes' Kim Page. A new type of workplace and a different mindset is needed to transform the way we as leaders, employees, and clients think about the future and how we achieve success. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Entrepreneurship is the most exciting and misunderstood career in the world. Win or lose, entrepreneurs always get back up, ready to fight another day. Anthony Lacopo, an ambitious entrepreneur, tackles a key question about entrepreneurship, talks to real entrepreneurs, and shares his personal experience in dealing with the issues faced by most of you, whether you're just starting up or managing a company that wants to change the world. Tune in to The Entrepreneur with host Anthony Lacopo, Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Karen Lee. Uh, she is a certified financial planner in the Atlanta area. Uh, her, web, her new uh, book is called It's Just Money. Uh, so why does it cause so many problems? Welcome back to the show, Karen. And give them your website one more time. It's Karen Lee and Associates. That's all spelled out. And what are some of the things they can find at your website? 
Oh, if you go to my In the News menu tab, there are some wonderful articles. One of my favorite is the top ten things you should never tell yourself about money, and I contributed about five of those to that article. So you'll you'll find some great articles there. You'll find some of the segments I've done on CNN where we uh, talk about money and happiness, money and marriage, money and divorce. Uh, so there's also some good financial planning information on, on the basic part of the website as well. And there's certainly a link uh, to Amazon for the book. And the book's also available on the Kindle version, too. Very good. You have a whole chapter on when people die. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the financial complications when people die, either expectedly or unexpectedly? Well, the, the, the chapter in the book is really about family contention when people die. Obviously, when people die unexpectedly and they're not prepared financially, that, that's a whole nother. In fact, that's later in the book when we talk about life insurance and the importance of that. But what I was talking about in, in these couple of stories are the family fighting that occurs. And I see it whether there's a little money or a lot of money. Uh, and some of the one of the things I shared is, you know, I've had a, an adult child call me as they were literally leaving a funeral for a parent saying, you know, when can I come by and get my money? So it's, it's just um, another sad statement of uh, how families sometimes disintegrate when a family member dies and there's money involved. So what do you do to, to avoid those kind of battles? I like to promote having family meetings um, with the older parents and just, you know, kind of laying things out on the table. This is what we're looking at. This is what we've got. This is our game plan. Kids don't really have a choice if the parents, um, you know, it's their money and they should be able to leave it how they want. We have some great debates um, in my financial planning community about the appropriate way to leave assets to kids. Uh, typically, it's, it's agreed upon that even Stephen for children is the way to go or like Warren Buffett, leave it to charity and just a small amount to your children. But um, there are certainly people who feel like what they want to do is leave more to kids that are in more need or haven't done as well in life. So I think the main thing is, is to be able to get it out on the table. Um, my father just passed away, as did my husband's, and we talked with my mother about that the main thing is is that we we understand her intentions so that there isn't fighting amongst the siblings afterwards. Because to me, the most important thing is that my brother, my sister, and I stay connected once our parents are gone, and I don't want money to ever come between it. So um, no surprises is a good idea, I think, when it comes to estate planning. Okay, we've got a short period of time to go, so I want to go through a bunch of our different okay. uh, areas. So disability insurance is the first one. What, should, what do people need to know about disability the insurance? The most, most important insurance that people never think about, Jordan. It's a higher probability of becoming disabled than dying prematurely. Most people assume their companies are going to pay if they become sick or injured. Uh, less than 50% of companies carry this type of coverage for their employees. If you're self-employed, literally the most important insurance you should have. And buy it young because it's age-based, it's, and it, it usually locks in at the age you're at. Very important kind of insurance. And can you get it from your own uh, uh, life insurance company? Where should you buy disability insurance? You can. You can call. You could call any financial planner. You could call your life. If there is someone who sells you life insurance, they usually carry it. Uh, your group, if you do have group insurance at work, you could probably call the HR person and get a representative from that company and maybe buy supplemental coverage through them. And then you've got a chapter on death and life insurance. Do people not have enough life insurance? Typically, they don't. I mean, no one wants to think about dying. Let's face it. It's, a, it's just like writing a will. I'd rather not think about it, too. But it's just one of the simplest things to take care of. Life insurance, term life, is so cheap and inexpensive. It's really a travesty not to have the right kind of insurance. People wait too long to buy it, and the challenge there is, again, price goes up. But more importantly, there are things that make you un ineligible for life insurance or disability insurance. Um, you have a mole taken off, and it turns out to be melanoma. You don't have to have any chemo or radiation because you got it early. But guess what? You can't buy any life insurance for at least five years. So that's just an easy one to take care of. Typically, how much uh, should people get as a percentage of their income in uh, life insurance? The, the insurance community will tend to throw out the formula five to ten times income. It's a general rule, and I would say if you've got one income earner instead of two, go to ten times. Two income earners, more towards five times. And, and it, but then, of course, it varies with kids, no kids, et cetera, but somewhere in that ballpark. 
And uh, what combination of term and versus cash value? Well, I don't know if you really want to get into that one because there's huge debates out there. There's people that don't believe in cash value insurance at all. I'm going to make a statement for me. The permanent insurance might be a lot more expensive, but it gives you choices. I've met a lot of older people struggling to keep their life insurance uh, and they can't, the term life becomes way too expensive. I like at least a 50-50 mix between term life and permanent. But I, just saying that, I can tell you I would have, if I had to rate my own radio show, they'd be writing in to scream and yell about that. <laughs> then you have a chapter on long-term care insurance. Yeah, um, this is a pretty it's, new it's, kind of insurance. It's only, I mean, there's some companies that have offered it since the 70s, but we've only been reading about it in the media, I think, for about 10 years, it seems to me. But that's the kind of insurance that, you know, medical insurance does not cover nursing home care, uh, care in the home. So that's the kind of insurance you can buy. I talk to kids my age about buying it on their parents so that they don't have to shell out money monthly to take care of their parents if, if they have to get nursing home care in home care. So in general, you think it's a better deal to, to have it instead of going through your assets? I think all insurance is what I call a necessary evil. It's a very interesting concept because you buy it and then pray you waste that money, right? You don't want to yep. go into a nursing home. You don't want to die young, and you don't want to become disabled. You don't want your house to burn down or to be in a car accident. But, yeah, Jordan, I think that it's a basic way to protect your assets and to protect your net worth. You have a chapter at the end about investing and diversification. We talked earlier about having too much money in your company stock. Do you find most people are not adequately diversified? Absolutely. And most people are either 100% in the stock market or not at all. <laughs> and so there should be some mix of, of different there, assets, you There saying. should be a mix, and it's, a, it's, a, it's very individualized. So there's a little bit of it that's based on your age, your time horizon to when you'll actually be using that money, then your knowledge and your temperament, because this is all about being able to sleep at night, um, a nice classic 60-40, uh, 60% stock to 40% bond rebalanced annually is, is a general rule of thumb, I think, for a lot of people, but uh, it really needs to be evaluated on an individual basis. People that have enough wealth but don't like to take risk, if you've got enough money, then don't take as much risk. Reduce your risk. I worry about the people who are behind in their savings and say, well, I need to take a lot more risk because i got to catch up. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I say cut back your lifestyle and save more. All right, about the minute we so, or so we have left, Karen, why don't you just give an overall view of what people can learn from your book, It's Just Money, Why Does It Cause So Many Problems, and how they can do better? I think that they can certainly learn the basics of financial planning skills, but what I was hoping people would learn, the biggest takeaway – is that money is, is not rational, it's emotional, and most of what we do, good or bad, is, is deeper-seated. And I'd like to, ha to get the dialogue started about why we do what we do and get people to talk about a subject that historically has been taboo, and we need to start talking more about money with our spouses, with our children, and in our lives. Terrific. Okay, we covered a lot of interesting ground. Uh, if you want to find out more from Karen, her website is KarenLeeAndAssociates.com. Her book is called It's Just Money, Why Does It Cause So Many Problems? Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Karen. Thank you, Jordan. And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.